Hello and welcome to the Vet Professionals Cat Cafe podcast series. My name is Sarah Caney and I'm an RCVS specialist in feline medicine and founder of vetprofessionals.com. I've worked as a feline-only vet for more than 25 years now and have been an RCVS specialist in feline medicine for nearly 20 years. I decided to set up a virtual cat cafe during the COVID-19 lockdown in March 2020 as a way of keeping in touch with cat owners and sharing my tips on cat care. The following podcast was recorded as a Cat Cafe Zoom webinar on the 15th of October 2020 and you can watch the recording on the video tutorial page of vetprofessionals.com. Look under the helpful info menu for video tutorials and then click on the Cat Cafe tab. In today's session I talk about telemedicine. I explain what this is and how it is being used in the current COVID-19 pandemic to minimise social contact between vets and their clients. I hope that you'll find this podcast helpful. Thank you very much for choosing to listen to it. Hello, thank you very much for choosing to join me this afternoon. Um, we've moved on in topics and today's topic is all about telemedicine and I'm going to talk about uh, what I mean by that term but also importantly because I do feel this is really relevant for the Covid era in which we are currently um, to really talk about how as a carer I think you can really help uh, the telemedicine be a success and help with diagnosis and management of your cat's illness should they be unlucky enough to have an illness at the moment. So the term telemedicine, actually, I discovered through some research, there are many, many different definitions of telemedicine, but the very broad and boring one is the one that I've put on this slide, which is the remote diagnosis and treatment of patients by means of telecommunications technology. And that has been applied in human health care for a number of years in a number of different ways. So it includes x-rays being um, remotely assessed and analysed by a radiologist. It includes uh, sending, you know, really specialist data, but in its most basic uh, sense, it also includes a phone call rather than a face-to-face -face consultation, a video consultation, or even an email consultation. So all of these things, which any of you that have had to contact your vets during 2020 will have experience of, are examples of telemedicine and unfortunately at the moment as I say we've been thrust into this world where we can't escape telemedicine. So why is it worth talking about? Well I think it's worth talking about in any case and the reason for that is sorry I'm just letting someone in from the waiting room just one moment. Um, a reason to talk about it in any case, so outside the COVID era in which I uh, we find ourselves, is that firstly, from the cat's perspective, if they don't have to go in a carrier, they don't have to skip their breakfast, they don't have to go in a car, stay in a waiting room, be examined by a vet, they're probably going to be saying, you know, hooray, hooray this is wonderful, much less stress for them because in a, a sense, uh, the, the consultation is um, without their presence at all. So their life is not disrupted. So from a cat's perspective, if we can usefully achieve things through a telemedicine consultation, then the cat's delighted because they've not had to participate. 
And you too might also be delighted in the sense of you've not had to put your cat in the carrier, you've not had to listen to them yowling all the way to the vet or perhaps vomiting or urinating in their carrier, showing signs of distress. Um, so from your perspective, a lot that uh, can recommend telemedicine and, and really make it something that we should pursue. But the main reason really for including it on the timetable now was because of the, the COVID pandemic. And since March 2020 in the UK and around the world, as you will all know, if you've had to get in touch with any healthcare professional, whether for yourself or for your pet, telemedicine is being used as a first line. So because of social distancing, um, vet clinics are very much limiting the number of people coming into the practice. Most practices still in the UK, clients are not allowed into the building at all. Uh, some are allowing one at a time into the waiting room. So it's extremely limited. And therefore, I think it's a topic that's really important to think about at the moment. And I hope that what I have today will be useful in terms of any future telemedicine consultations you have with your vet clinic. Clinic. So all of my tips really are orientated towards how can we make this as positive and helpful an experience as, posi uh, as possible for ourselves and for our patients. So before making that initial contact with the vet clinic, uh, unless it's an emergency, in which case just please pick up the phone, contact them straight away it's worth preparing for that interaction. So this is thinking about non-urgent conditions or, uh, and particularly, of course, you can have a non-urgent condition that's, that can become more and more worrying with time. Have a think about what are your concerns? What are the clinical signs that you've seen that have made you feel worried? Is it because your cat is being sick or they're not eating their food, for example? If there's more than one thing that you've been worried about, then actually writing a list, I think is very useful to make sure that during the discussion, you don't perhaps get sidetracked to talk just about the first thing in your mind, but you remember the other things because from a vet perspective, all clues are gold dust in terms of us making a diagnosis. At the time of the appointment as well, bear in mind that firstly, the clinician you're speaking to might not be able to access the clinical records in quite the same way that they would have done in the past because of differences in the way vet clinics are working. So I think it's really a good idea, unless you know that vet very well and they know you and your cats very well, to just very briefly say uh, a little bit about your cat. For example, my cat Millie has had kidney disease for five years and she's already on a, a mixture of uh, different treatments and actually tell your vets what those treatments are. Because for a vet that's unfamiliar with the case, it's really useful to have a very quick summary of what, what are the key points, what's the key information at the start of the patient discussion. And I also think it's really useful to have a notebook and pen, not only so you can refer to your problem list that you've written in advance, but also so you can jot down things because it's very, very hard retaining information. Um, and we know that from a huge number of studies that have looked at our own interactions with doctors that we actually remember very little when we walk out of the door of our doctor's surgery unless we've actually written it down. So how is a telemedicine consultation likely to work? Um, what questions are you likely to be asked? Because it's useful to know what these questions might be in advance. So again, you can prepare yourself. You can think about how you might answer these questions. 
the initial question is probably going to be, well, how can I help you? What's wrong? Why, why have you chosen to call me? And in some situations, there may be a very clear single reason why you're worried. And I've just included a picture of a cat who you can see has got a very sore paw. I am not going to put any weight on that paw at all. Um, and that might be the initial piece of information to communicate with your vet. And this is in this example, it actually was a traumatic cause of the sore paw. Um, Examples of, of uh, traumatic causes of sore paws in cats would include cat bites as well, which can cause infections. But in this cat, actually, there was a trauma which had caused a dislocation of the toe, which we can see on x-ray. And that's why this little cat was feeling very sore, not going to put its paw down. So what other questions might your vet ask you or your vet nurse ask you? They're likely to ask, when did you first notice that something was wrong? So how long has this been going on for? And did it start suddenly? Or is it something that occurred more gradually and perhaps has changed with time? And that's really helpful to us to understand, again, possible causes. So trauma is a call, a, a, often a sudden cause of a change in your cat. Um, and other examples which I've got here would be this little cat that suddenly started sneezing. And uh, soon after that sneezing started, um, a nasal discharge also developed. And you can see that there is a, a very snotty nostril on view um, from this little cat. And the reason for this sudden nasal discharge was that the cat had a couple of weeks previously eaten some grass and had then been sick and a piece of grass, quite a long piece of grass, you can see five centimetres, um, had then lodged in the back of the nose and instantly tickling the nose, hence the sneezing, which was very sudden in onset. But then because that grass was sitting there inflaming the tissues, we got a secondary infection, hence the snotty nose. So it's really helpful understanding how the problem has developed. You might actually know in some situations what the cause is, or you might have a suspicion. For example, you might have seen your kitten playing with a toy, and now that toy has gone. And could that kitten that's now vomiting have perhaps eaten a bit of that toy? Could that be a reason for the signs that you're seeing? Understanding how long the problem has been present, but also whether it's changed at all since it started is helpful. So is this a problem which is staying the same? Or is it getting worse? Things that get worse obviously worry us more. Or perhaps is it waxing and waning? That's all useful information for us in terms of our problem solving. And lastly, has any previous treatment been given for this problem? And what sort of difference has it made? So if you're perhaps on your second consultation or third consultation, this is particularly relevant. If you started treatment, is it helping? Are you happy with how things are going? General health questions are also very likely to be asked and examples of those would include what is your cat's appetite? Have you spotted any difficulty in your cat's ability to eat? Any changes to their breath? Is their breath smelly, for example? Has their thirst changed in any way? Any changes in urination or defecation? If you know, if you have an indoor only cat and you're able to observe that, that's very helpful. So if you can give information on uh, how many times a day your cat is passing urine or feces and whether they appear normal in appearance, all of this is really helpful information. Have you spotted any changes um, that otherwise that concern you? So, for example, that sneezing, nasal discharge, coughing, vomiting, all these sorts of things. Uh, your vet is going to be interested under in understanding and trying to get to the bottom. 
and a useful checklist is in the free download section of my website. Um, you do have to register to access this bit of the website, but um, we don't uh, bombard you with any mailings without your permission, I promise. Um, and once you access that area, if you look at the vet information, you'll see there's a health checklist available that you can download. And I've just included on this slide some screenshots of what the first couple of pages look like. Um, but the second page includes this uh, standard list of health questions that, that are useful to perhaps remind yourself what questions might my vet might uh, ask me, how might I answer those, because some of those you might want to have a think about or ask other family members for their input. And at this point, actually, there, there may be enough information for your vet or vet nurse to clearly understand um, the severity of the problem, whether they need to see your cat or whether they have a good understanding of the likely cause and therefore likely helpful treatment. And that could be the conclusion of the appointment. But there are other things that you can help with, other ways in which you can help, which I'll finish off by presenting. And I don't want you to be daunted by some of these. Some of these you might think, oh gosh, I couldn't do that or I don't want to do that. And that's absolutely fine. Um, but there are a variety of other ways in which you can, hopefully with a little bit of help from me advising you, provide even more clinically relevant data, which will be helpful to your vet clinic. So the first one I've put here is um, cats with difficulty breathing. So very specific issue here, but if you see that your cat has got problems breathing, if breathing seems to be a struggle, if your cat's breathing with their mouth open, for example, that often indicates severe problems, then it's useful to actually try and get a little bit more information for your vets. So again, they might be able to work out, right, I think this is the most likely cause and this is what we should do first. And so useful things might be firstly to count the number of breaths your cat is taking in a minute and a breath in and a breath out is just one breath. So don't count all of the ins and all of the outs, but just uh, each individual breath and add up the number of times that your cat takes a full breath each minute. And a normal cat should take about 15 to 20, perhaps a few more breaths per minute. Don't count their breathing rate when they're purring. Often it is a little bit faster then. Ideally, if you're worried about breathing, it's when your cat is just resting, sitting with you. If the breathing is laboured, it's uh, difficult for the cat to breathe, then it can be helpful if you can give an idea of whether you think breathing in or breathing out or perhaps both aspects of breathing are laboured. So, for example, if your cat seems to be taking... <gasps> big gasp in but breathing out is is fine then tell your vet that because that really helps them to narrow down the possible causes of that breathing difficulty also if the breathing is noisy normally we can't hear a cat breathing if you can hear your cat breathing that is abnormal and therefore if you can tell your vet well i can hear a noise every time my cat breathes out it sounds a bit wheezy or a bit squeaky again that can really help us to understand what might be causing it and taking a video also can be helpful and ask your clinic how you can share that with them. 
some cases, for example, a cat that has a history of heart problems, it can be useful knowing what the heart rate is. And actually, this is not as difficult to collect as, as it might sound. We can actually feel what's called the apex beat, um, that we can feel the heart beating just by gently holding our cat um, and just uh, in its sort of armpit or just behind the armpit. And again, you can count how many beats there are um, in either 15 seconds and multiply by four to get beats per minute or if the heart rate seems very fast count how many there are um, in six seconds and then multiply by 10 to get the number of counts per minute and for a normal cat heart rate is much faster than ourselves it's typically between about 120 and 150 beats per minute Sometimes you may actually see a change in your cat's colour. Now, by colour, I don't mean, of course, their coat colour. I'm meaning here the mucous membranes, their gums, the sclera, which is the white of their eyes, and their nose, if these areas are not pigmented. So some cats have uh, very pigmented noses. They're black, and you cannot tell anything about the colour. But if your cat has a white nose, then it should be pink normally. Um, and in this cat, you can see on the left-hand side, the nose is very deathly white because this cat is very anemic. This cat has very few red blood cells. The cat on the right hand side has a different discoloration of mucous membranes. The white of the eye is no longer white, it's yellow, and the nose also is yellow. Do another close up here, and this is jaundice, a yellow discoloration due to breakdown of blood cells in this cat. So, what we call a hemolytic anemia, where the blood cells are broken down. Some more examples on this slide, again, a very pale gums. So you might, your cat might let you just gently lift their lip and have a look at the gums. Um, and if they look white or blue, which is a cyanosis, uh, very, very urgently concerning, that would be, again, another possible indicator of heart problems. Or if they look yellow, which is jaundice, these are all things your vet will want to know about. If your cat is quite sick and in particular they've not been eating or drinking or they've been vomiting or having a lot of diarrhea, then of course dehydration might start to be a concern. And there are a couple of ways that we can get some indications of dehydration just by examining patients. One of them is to do what we call a skin tent test, and that's being demonstrated in the video in the left by, by one of my nurse colleagues. And to do that, we'll just pick up a, a little bit of the scruff and drop it, and it should fairly instantly go back down again. There should be a, a minimal or no delay in that skin returning to its original position. The example on the right hand side shows a really extreme example of a cat where you can see the skin does not return to its normal position. You can see it's very crinkly and when lifted up it pretty much just stays there. And this is a cat that has a heart problem and then received a lot of diuretics to try and get it out of heart failure and became quite dehydrated and uh, this is one of the ways that we were able to detect that. Another way of assessing hydration is to feel the gums and the gums normally should like our gums feel very moist and not at all sticky. So again, if your cat will let you lift a lip and gently touch a gum, um, if you can feel it's nice and moist, that's great, that's very reassuring. If it feels at all sticky, then that could be another indication of dehydration and again, your vet would want to know that. 
if you have a small thermometer at home, then another option that could be helpful in some cases is to take temperature. And whilst we would normally in a vet clinic take a rectal temperature, and that might not be something very understandably might not be something you'd be comfortable to do. And certainly without appropriate training, I would be reluctant for you to take on that task. What you can do is actually slip that thermometer into your cat's armpit. So rather like ourselves, try and have it as nestled uh, close to the skin and enclosed by skin as possible. And you can get some indication of body temperature and therefore whether your cat maybe uh, have, has a fever. For example, if they've been in a fight and uh, developed an infection from an, an abscess. A normal cat's body temperature uh, is up to about 102.5 Fahrenheit or 39.2 centigrade. So it is higher than is normal in ourselves. Depending on the toilet facilities that you have in your household, you may be able to give some useful information on your cat's urination and defecation. And this is especially helpful for cats where either you've spotted a change in their thirst or you have spotted a change in their urine or their urine habits. For example, if the cat, um, you've noticed some blood in the litter box or you're seeing your cat repeatedly in and out of the litter box straining to pass urine, then of course this information becomes very helpful to your vet. And similarly, from a faeces perspective, um, understanding what your cat is passing and how that compares to normal, whether there is diarrhea or evidence of constipation is all really helpful information. I'm a big fan of using clumping cat litter at home because then you can tell firstly whether your cat has urinated but also you can get an indication of um, how much urine is passed by the size of that urine clump and this again can be really helpful in cats with urinary disorders most worrying of which would be cats that are having difficulty passing urine at all and that if they become completely blocked is an emergency it is a life-threatening emergency. And so photos, again, can be helpful here. Video evidence, I'll show you an example of a little bit later as well, can also be helpful. Um, anything that you can provide will always be very gratefully received. Normal cats typically pass two to three um, urines per day and one feces per day. That is the norm, but of course, like ourselves, there is uh, in individual variation. So if your cat normally has all their life done a poo every other day, then that's normal for them. And that should be the baseline on which you monitor your cat from. Something that might be helpful if your cat has a urinary problem or if their thirst has increased is to actually collect a urine sample at home. And in the free downloads section of the website, there is a guide for owners as to how to collect a urine sample from the cat. So please feel free to refer to that after this session. But very simply, um, how we do this is to typically get a clean, dry, empty litter tray and then some non-absorbent cat litter, which most commonly is uh, crystals um, uh, or beads, these plastic beads that go into the litter tray. Catcore is one of the most uh, frequently used brands in the UK. The cat then has something to scratch around in, um, but when they pass urine, it's not absorbed and uh, therefore we can collect a sample. There is also a hydrophobic sand, which looks much more like a normal litter uh, called Kit for Cat, uh, which is also uh, very popular with, with cats as a non-absorbent cat litter, and you may have used that as well. 
and ideally once you collect your urine sample uh, depending on what your vet clinic is interested in get it to them as quickly as possible if they're interested in crystals then you really need it to get it to them ASAP um, if they're interested in the concentration or they want to do uh, a bacteriology uh, culture for example then it doesn't have to be driven at high speed to your vet clinic it could be taken within a few hours ideally within 24 hours if your cat has diarrhea, of course, collecting a poo sample might be something that your vet is interested in. And uh, particularly in young cats, infections often are uh, a cause of diarrhea. So that might be something your vet might want to test for and therefore collecting a sample may be asked of you. And if the faeces are very liquidy, that can be quite challenging because often litter will soak that up. If there's an abnormality that you can actually see and take a photograph of, then definitely do that. And if possible, share that photo with your vet clinic before you have an appointment so that the vet can have a look at that photo and, and have an idea of uh, why you're calling. And that is much easier than on a video consultation on your mobile phone, perhaps, trying to show your vet live what you've been talking about. That, as you will know, is, is likely to be quite tricky. So if you can get a good photo graph before that's absolutely brilliant and you might also be able to get a useful video so um, I've turned off the sound for these videos but the first video shows a, a cat coughing having a coughing episode really useful to be able to see that and you can see that at the end of that cough the, the cat is swallowing so we now know it's a productive cough which is useful from our perspective in terms of uh, troubleshooting and diagnosing afterwards and we can get an idea of how severe it is so all these things really helpful uh, the other cat in this example had some behavioral changes was very restless very vocal and again really nice to see a video that explains to us and shows to us really what you're seeing at home. So if your cat's problem um, really is something that lends itself to being videoed, I would encourage you to do that. And I mentioned um, urinary videos a little bit earlier on. Um, this is a, a lovely example of what you can do. And uh, one of my clients has this beautiful Egyptian Mao uh, cat, Shai, who you can see here. And poor Shai has had uh, terrible problems with lower urinary tract disease for, for many years now. And so his owner very cleverly set up this webcam, which has been rechristened the WeCam, close to his litter box. And when Shai goes to use his litter box uh, she can activate the webcam and remotely monitor him so without standing watching him which a cat would find off-putting like us they like their privacy um, his urination can be monitored and you can see this video is still running although he's very still he's spending a long time trying to pass this urine so it's very difficult for him passing this urine and in fact I think this video was about nine minutes long I won't show you all of that of course but was incredibly helpful for me to really understand what was going on with shy at home so in addition to looking at the size of the urine clumps uh, formed in, in clumping litter and the numbers of those this sort of video re resource can be really helpful for certain selected cases where obviously you have chronic problems long-term problems that uh, need a lot of input 
Other useful things that you can do from a urinary perspective shown on this slide. Um, so um, blood in the urine, hematuria, uh, can be seen for a number of reasons, including bladder stones. And this is one of my patients, a very beautiful ragdoll called Milo. Unfortunately, ragdolls are quite vulnerable to forming stones in their urinary tract. And this is a problem that Milo has had, where he forms these calcium oxalate stones, and it makes his urine very bloody and makes him very uncomfortable and so actually collecting urine and monitoring it has been really helpful for him at home and by and large his uh, owner has actually been using dipsticks to do that at home and uh, on a dipstick uh, this is a multi-stick dipstick that's being shown now uh, there is uh, one of the little pads will show up and change color if there's blood in the urine and uh, it's the one within that red rectangle so it's very dark green and it should be yellow if there is no blood in the urine so you can see a huge amount of blood in the urine so monitoring his urine at home and keeping a diary of, of uh, where the blood was passed incredibly helpful but also more recently we've had a new product available on the vet market which is this uh, Royal Canin Blue Care product and this is a, um, a sachet that has these granules in which we sprinkle on top of the normal litter in the litter tray and these granules have a chemical within them that changes the colour when they come into contact with blood and even microscopic blood which you would not see with your naked eye so the urine would still look yellow can trigger this very profound colour change and the litter turns blue and this is also a really helpful system for cats that have had recurrent problems or long-term problems where we just want to really understand in a bit more detail what's happening is there blood in your urine and uh, uh, and that has uh, been useful in, in many cats like Milo as well. I think the same company is, is detecting a similar system for uh, glucose monitoring as well, useful with a relevance to diabetes. What else can we do? Well, I always talk about weighing cats, so this is no exception, but if you do have some small cat size scales at home, really helpful to get a weight measurement from your cat and your vets will always thank you if you can help them by uh, telling them whether your cat's weight is the same as previously or whether any weight loss or weight gain has occurred. If you don't already have um, uh, scales available to you at home, then these are pretty easy to find now actually um, online from uh, um, organisations like Amazon and eBay, fairly inexpensive scales are available. You can also monitor water intake. Um, if you have noticed a change in your cat's thirst, this is definitely relevant. Um, if you have one cat and it lives uh, indoors only, then that is, of course, the easiest scenario to monitor water consumption. Um, and to do that, you put a measured amount of water into the cat bowl or bowls, and then 24 hours later, tip that water from the bowl back into your measuring container and calculate how much your cat has drunk. And that can be useful because the magnitude of a thirst um, can help tell you which conditions are most likely. For example, diabetic cats often are extremely thirsty and may drink perhaps half a litre of water in a day, whereas a cat with hypothyroidism may be a little bit more thirsty than normal, uh, but much smaller volume overall. 
in cats uh, in, uh, that are living in a multi-cat household, if you have other cats and also if you have dogs, for example, then measuring the total household water consumption still can be useful, not from a diagnosis perspective, but from a monitoring perspective. So again, if you have a diabetic cat and it's in a multi-cat household or multi-animal household, then as its diabetes responds to treatment, the water consumption of the household should also reduce because that diabetic cat should no longer be thirsty. So uh, less helpful diagnostically, but definitely helpful from a monitoring perspective. Monitoring food intake also can be helpful, uh, particularly if you're worried about appetite in your cat, whether that's an increase or a decrease, being actually able to say to your vet, my cat is eating 24 grams of biscuits per day, your vet will instantly know, well, if that's an adult cat, 24 grams is not enough for them to be eating. And even remotely over the phone, over email, um, having this sort of detailed information can be very valuable. So another patient of mine is a very, very beautiful Sula here who has chronic kidney disease and her carers have been absolutely brilliant at monitoring very uh, in very detailed way her, her appetite so exactly how much food she's eating exactly what food she's being offered and her body weight and that has helped to guide us in terms of some of her therapies for example how, how much appetite stimulants she needs. So having actual concrete objective data that you can then provide advice on really does make a difference. If your cat is diabetic, then something you need training to do, but definitely can be helpful and can then be done at home, is monitoring blood glucose levels, blood sugar levels. And most often what we'll do is uh, take a blood sample, very tiny blood sample from the ear. And that's what's been shown in this picture here. And there's a lovely video that uh, the charity International Cat Care have done, which shows exactly how to do this procedure. Um, and certainly if you do have a diabetic cat, monitoring blood glucose at home, is not only less stressful for the cat, but it's often actually more helpful in terms of giving us reliable data. And then adding this all up really is to try and keep a journal. If you have a cat with a chronic health problem, trying to actually note down whenever you see anything abnormal um, and also keep a record of all the sorts of things we've talked about because uh, whilst it's easy generally to remember what's happened today and perhaps even yesterday can be a little bit harder to remember well was that last week or the week before is this problem actually getting any worse or is it staying the same uh, so keeping a journal can be useful and another example of where that helped me with one of my diabetic cats um, is here, the lovely Toots. And uh, Toots was diagnosed with diabetes. And I asked Toots's owner if he could monitor Toots's water consumption. And he um, very keenly did and uh, actually recorded on each line of, of the charts I've shown here is water consumption over a 12 hour period. So we need to add two lines together to get the 24 hour water consumption. And at the start of Toots's diabetes, uh, she was drinking four to 500 mils of water per day, which is a lot of water as you will appreciate. But as time went on, the diabetes came under control. We could not only see that she was feeling better and her weight was better, but her water consumption also reduced to about 100, 120 mils per day. She did have some concurrent kidney problems that meant her thirst didn't 
disappear even though she was eating wet food and the useful thing was that then having achieved that good success when she had um, a little glitches in the future urinary tract infections for example and her thirst started to increase again her owner was aware of it immediately and then could contact me and uh, we could uh, obviously um, address that problem so in the long-term management of complicated health problems health diaries really make a difference so I hope that's given you a useful taste of telemedicine, what it means, what we can do through a telemedicine. There is a huge amount we can do. Clearly, there are going to be, particularly for new illnesses, many situations in which the vet will still need to examine your cat. And at the moment, that often will involve uh, a bit of a car park handover of a cat in a carrier because you probably won't be allowed inside the clinic due to COVID social distancing rules. Um, but nonetheless, if you can share this information with your vet clinic in advance, it really does put them in a better position to accurately diagnose the cause of the problem um, and also to treat it best and so help your cat to the best. There are a lot of things that you can do. Some of the things I've, I've talked about today may, may seem like things you don't want to do and that's fine um, but I hope it's also been interesting to just give you a, a taste for, for what's possible with home monitoring um, and I do believe it's something that we should continue beyond coronavirus um, if not for every case for those long-term cases where a, a more um, uh, arm's length monitoring can still be very effective and that less stressful for the cat coming into the clinic. If you've not already done my survey on this topic, I would really appreciate you doing that. And you can access all of the surveys from the homepage of the website. Look for the top menu item, which is surveys. Um, you'll see there are a range of other surveys that are open, but we're particularly interested if you have had any experience of telemedicine. So a discussion over the phone, on a video or email with your vet clinic, we would really like to hear about it. And please tell all your friends and family members about this survey as well because we're desperately keen to get as much data as we can uh, so that we can share that with the veterinary profession and cat owners and hopefully improve uh, as well the the efficiency and success of telemedicine in the future because it is something that is uh, certainly not going to disappear anytime soon. In our next session in two weeks time, I'm going to talk about nursing sick cats at home, which I think is also really relevant to our current uh, limited uh, ability to um, see our vets in, in our clinics. So I hope you'll join me then. Um, and uh, this is just a reminder of the surveys that we have on our website beyond telemedicine. We have one on early neutering of cats, uh, neutering before puberty, and one uh, that's particularly interesting for certain breeds of cats is is about uh, squints and wobbly eyes, nystagmus and strabismus being the, the medical terms for those, um, which we'd love you to participate in if you have uh, Burmese or other related breeds. Um, so thank you very, very much again for joining me today. And I'll now be very happy to uh, look at the chat box, see if there's any questions and hopefully have some good discussion. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening to this session. For more information, please visit vetprofessionals.com. You can find YouTube recordings of all Cat Cafe sessions on the video tutorials page. To find the video tutorials page, click on the helpful info menu on the home page. Don't forget that you can attend future Cat Cafe sessions live and have the opportunity to ask questions and show me you and your cat on video if you like. 
You can read more about how to access these sessions on the video tutorials page of the website. Lastly, if you found this podcast helpful, don't forget to subscribe and add a review. Thank you.